0: As oh, what will we learn now? Okay. Um, we can use the we can use the mic. I have a, a neighbor friend yeah. who has uh, several of her friends are quite quite conservative, yeah. and when I met them. Uh, I was so disappointed to find that I really liked them. (laughs) And I was wondering how could they have gotten locked into such ideas and when they weren't in that phase, they were perfectly lovely. And then somewhere, I think probably the New York Times or BBC, I saw an article on a study that felt that conservatism or liberalism is very likely genetic to some hmm. some point, and that that sort of made me feel better. Hmm. I don't know why, but it's still yeah. a working with. So working, you know. <clears throat> so for some of us, the next week we may focus particularly on uh, differences of views. Hmm. Amazing! I can actually like someone with different views, right? But but you hung in there, right? You hung in there, and and. Um, how many have have found yourself liking someone with radically different views at some point in your life? It's about half the group, <laughs> or at least raise their hand. Um, but it's, it's fascinating, and yeah. And can one go in and say, what might I learn from this person? Am I totally convinced of my views? <coughs> it's <coughs> it's such a powerful area to practice in, isn't it? Um, yeah, and you know, whether it's political views or views on some other issue, um, yeah, it makes me think of a story I've told probably once or twice of uh, having a retreat at Los Alamos National Laboratory, and then where we had lunch and we met with the uh, scientists who were building nuclear weapons. And we were more or less a bunch of activists And we were having meals with them, and about half the group were incapable of, it seemed, of really actually just talking and being open to their views. And some of us were. Mm -hmm. and It was really interesting to hear their views, Mm -hmm. right? Which were different, but uh, can one be open? You know, can one, can one listen? Can one have empathy and try to have a sense of, okay, what's really, what really matters for this person, you know? Uh, Yeah, so it's a great area for, for inquiry. I think we had one back here, and then, and then, in the center. I think. Do we have one in the back there? But someone. Okay, maybe not so back in the center back. When you said about challenges, that yeah. it will be. Uh, it seems to me the big challenge is not is to pause. Yeah. Because, you know, when you get faced with something that's a difficult situation how not just to immediately react, but how to pause and say, okay, I'm going to see this as a learning opportunity, and how can I stay conscious that I'm going to learn from this before I just react? I think that's going to be my my challenge. Right. So, that great idea. Remind me of your name? Laura. Laura Laura was really suggesting the, the importance of pausing or taking breaks or noticing the reactivity and trying to have a little space around it. You know, in a social situation, um, I and many of my colleagues recommend strongly bathroom breaks. You know, sometimes breaks. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we have different views and we actually uh, become what the psychologists called flooded, physiologically shifted, right? It can actually kind of agitate it internally. It's very hard to be balanced and take something as learning when your, your internal physiology is saying, this is not okay. And so how to calm that. And some of, some of it takes time to, to work out in the body even. Yeah, so pauses, taking breaks, very, very helpful. The main thing is to have the commitment to mindfulness to really track it. So you can go into a challenging situation and say, it's likely I will be triggered here. Can I track it? And then have a repertoire of ways to come back to balance, right? So thank you. That's great. Uh, other reflections? Yeah, okay. One thing that I've found helpful for me over the years is <coughs> things that I um, look to be difficult interactions. Is I've, I I try to walk right into them. Yeah. And A little closer. Yeah. Um, yeah, not pause, but actually walk right into them because yeah. if I pause too long, then I start forming my oh yeah reaction. Can Can you give an example of what that looks like? Um. Sometimes different client interactions that I have. Yeah. People that have complex issues that you know are going to be difficult they're going to be challenging and so rather than saving that person for last that's the person I see first yeah yeah yeah. so um, and and going in with an attitude of openness yeah but actually deliberately going there yeah yeah thank you (laughs) Other reflections, sharings, questions in the back. Uh, Jurgen, your talk today really reminded me of part of the Bodhisattva vow, yeah. where Dharma gates are endless, and we vow to enter all of them. Yeah, yeah, it can be can be part of a general vow. It's like, you know, like. Uh, you know, Sylvia, Sylvia talks a lot about every moment is an opportunity for practice, right? Sometimes we think, oh, I'm just practicing when I'm on the cushion. Or I'm just practicing when I'm in bliss, right? And it really is, is um, using this sense of uh, everything is potentially learning. It's, it's, it's one way to deepen practice. You know, It's one... Uh, one intention that can help, and it really is, uh, can be connected with that. The bodhisattva is the one who vows to awaken and also help others. And is structured around, you know, uh, traditionally this bodhisattva, who appears in the Mahayana tradition, also in the uh, Theravada tradition, in the the, um, Tibetan tradition as well, Vajrayana it um, often is guided by vows that one makes. You can see this in you know, the, the Zen tradition. Maybe some of you know, if, you, if you'd be in a Zen uh, practice session, almost invariably every session, at some point they would say, you know, uh, Dharma gates are numberless. I vow to enter them all. Sentient beings' delusion is endless. I vow to stop it. And something like that, and um, there's a sense it, it's, it's stated paradoxically, but but it's basically saying, you know, um, or some. I think uh, I think Suzuki Roshi, as an teacher, said once, even if the sun should rise in the west, the bodhisattva has only one direction. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so it's really stating that uh, can can we really invitation? Can I make this intention stronger? It's really a an intention, it can be a vow. Let me take everything as learning. And then, okay, okay, I've got some level three or four. Oh, yeah, I'm really, I'm really doing this well. I'm, I'm able to learn and take as learning process with the uh, slow drivers going back to San Rafael after the class, right? <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. Okay, oh, level three, level four. Oh, oh, I get home. Oops, a level eight coming my way. <laughs> <laughs> how will I respond but you know so so again I think we we keep learning with the less intense but ultimately the horizon is everything you know and again I I love your example of coming around to having that perspective that oh this is something I can actually have some compassion for out of my own you know sense of being uh, treated unjustly yes I can maybe do what's necessary but rather than just get in the, the small voice, or the narrow voice, you know, something larger is possible. And so, you know, how can I, how can I go there? Not easy. So, again, I want to stress that ultimately, the mo- going to the most difficult ones is going to build on the capacities we develop with lesser degree of difficulties. So this, this isn't the practice where we're just either with reasonably peaceful states, and then something of a level 10 comes up and then we go there. But I think that a lot of the core of our practice where we really, really develop this is what? Is being with the difficult view, or being with the view of the person at work, which actually is not hugely challenging, but it's a level four or five, right? How can I be with that? And then, and, and, and continually making that practice, continually making the, the small events where I'm not empathic, where I just want my way, where I'm reactive, making the small things in everyday life parts of practice, that will, that totally builds the capacity for the big ones. Right. And so I want to I give some stress there because it's not like, you know, sometimes our practice is either I'm just in a really good, beautiful place or I have a level 10 challenge. Right? And that, I think we, that's too hard, actually. We we want to we want to practice where it's less difficult, and get good there. Yeah. So please, maybe one more, one or two more. Yeah, yeah, what I wanted to say in my situation, what helps me is being grateful to yeah. um, to have shelter, to give them shelter to my yeah. daughter and her family, yeah. and also to. Um, to realize how lucky we are, there are some communities who live many, many members together, yeah. and we have been used to have space for ourselves and yeah. um, to be able to learn to stretch my limits. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that that helps me a lot. Dealing. That's, that's great. Yeah. Mm. To uh, uh, gratitude, gratefulness. Um, The what we sometimes collectively call the heart practices, very very crucial for all this, and I didn't. Maybe I'll go into them more next time because I didn't do so much here. But very very crucial to have ways of practicing that keep one's heart in some degree of balance. It could be gratitude practice. So the you know it's not just that I'm focused on the hard stuff, but I actually have some awareness of what actually is going well, or it could be how to use heart practices, let's say, with difficult interpersonal situations so that I practice with compassion and forgiveness, for example, which really eases the heart and makes it much less likely to get stuck in the polarized position, let's say. And the heart practices can be very important, or that just the the metta, staying with the general warmth and kindness as a way just to keep some degree of balance. So these are all really, really crucial for all this. And they, they, again, they don't, this isn't about um, not doing what needs to be done. This isn't at all about, in a difficult circumstance, speaking up right, or doing what needs to be done. But it's how do I keep that inner balance? And the heart practices play a big role. Okay, so I think more, I'll write down to have more on that next time. Okay, so next, next week, come back. We will have a week of practice, taking everything as learning. We'll have a number of reports, and we'll, uh, we'll explore a little bit more. I have some materials I didn't bring in that we'll uh, work with. By the end of next week, we'll have totally mastered, taking our entire lives <laughs> as learning. So let's finish right now just with, uh, uh, once again, coming back to intentions. Let's finish with setting the intentions that come out of this morning. For For many or most of us, it will be around this theme of taking everything as learning. Maybe for some of us, there was something else that came up. That's important, and your intention is there. So if you're focusing again on the theme of uh, taking everything as learning, then question, what will help you to do that in the next week? What supports, what uh, practices or actions will help to keep that strong in the next week? And we close by recognizing that we practice both for ourselves and for others, and may our mourning be a benefit to all of us here. May it be of benefit to those directly in our lives. And may it be a benefit beyond those circles to all beings without exception.